Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 15. I'm Immortal Alexander. And I'm Jeanette Andromeda, which is super dramatic way of saying hi. We discuss the process and life that is writing with the help of our guest authors and experts. Today's topic is speculative fiction. 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 Our guest today to help us with this topic is author Jessica McHugh. Welcome, Jessica, to the Ninth Story Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so, Jessica, for our audience sake, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? I am a novelist primarily, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like everything changes from day to day. Um, I am a novelist of speculative fiction with a, I guess, focusing on horror mostly. Horror tends to be my default setting. Um, but I also write a lot of short stories. I'm a playwright, a poet. Um, pretty much just just like to write. If it pops into my head, I'm writing it down. Um, I have 20, I've had 21 books published in the, how many years have I been doing this? Nine years. Is that, <laughs> I can't remember. No, and a lot of them aren't in print anymore because they were like the first ones I had published, but I have a, a, a lot of really cool books, mostly, yeah, horror, bizarro, um, out there in the world and, uh, also young adult series. So I got, <laughs> I got a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So Nelson was totally chatting about you um but I heard that. <laughs> basically Seriously, you're just I, constantly writing by the sounds of it <laughs> yeah I would have gotten an inflated ego if like I hadn't gotten a story rejection oh. earlier <laughs> like before I listened to it so I had a nice little you know keeps me keeps me on grounded and <laughs> but yeah I mean he's uh, he's pretty correct in in what he was saying there about you know I, I'm pretty much always writing except for today I didn't do very much today but uh <laughs> I don't know today I just could not get on get on track so I kind of just watched some Australia's Next Top Model <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> and jotted some notes uh jotted some things down and kind of brainstormed but I am I am usually have at least one or two notebooks on me at all times and uh yeah I mean when I get the inspirato I just I just go for it <laughs> no matter where I am <laughs> I think it's a uh an amazing thing and just hearing about your work style <laughs> makes me want to just carry around more notebooks <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun it's I feel like it's kind of uh <laughs> At first, I, I was kind of just oblivious to the fact that, you know, I, I, I start to start writing at any time. And then now I'm kind of realizing how, how rude it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really didn't occur to me at first. But like, if I'm at a social function, like a party or something like that, and I just start feeling bored or I, you know, feel awkward, I just pull out the book and start writing. It's kind of it's my safe, my safe uh -huh. place. And, you know. I have control there, so um, I, it's just kind of uh, second nature to me. But then, yeah, I start <laughs> start looking around me and realizing that I'm kind of being an asshole. <laughs> and, like, I prefer fictional people to the ones around me. <laughs> and these are murderers. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of feel like a dick in that way, but... 
but and then also you always get the question like are you ever not writing and, and i'm like you had to ask me that question so clearly you know the answer <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah i am basically always jotting down something i love it so since you are so deep into speculative fiction can you tell us what exactly is speculative fiction um, for me, I, I know there are a lot of uh, people have a lot of different definitions of it. Uh, for me, it's basically just anything that answers a what if question um, that's not literary or uh, like historical fiction. Um, I know it's it's de- it's been called a lot of things as far like I, I forget in what context, but it was once known as a historical invention, hmm. which I think is a really neat term for it. Um so I, I didn't go to school for writing or any, any of this kind of stuff. So a lot of it, uh, before I really knew what speculative fiction even was, I was just calling them, calling my stories what-if stories. Because when I first started writing, basically every story was inspired by a, well, what if this happened? And... W- <laughs> Sorry, that was my text message. <laughs> what if that happened? <laughs> my meow meow bean! <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's pretty much anything, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, alternate history, um, anything that's wacky and crazy to me is speculative fiction. Now, I know there, you know, a lot, there are some people, like Margaret Atwood wants it to be more grounded in that. She feels like it's something that should be able to happen. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a lot more loose with the definition anyway. And like, and even when I say speculative fiction, I write that to somebody they're always like what's that so I I always have to explain it anyway so it feels like (laughs) like I should probably just skip that and be like I write horror sci-fi fantasy but yeah but it is a fun it's just a you know kind of broad umbrella term for me so what drew you to writing in this broad genre in the first place I think just because I I mean I I get bored easily like writing the same thing And, um, like just as a kid, I was writing what I was reading and I was reading a lot of horror and, um, stuff like, you know, my teacher is an alien series Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, just wacky, wacky kids books and fear street. I was big on RL Stein's fear street, which is as unrealistic (laughs) horror as you can get. I mean, but it's so amazing. I love it. Um, I, I, Last Unicorn, Peter S. Beagle stuff, all of these, these things, though very different, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, all just kind of felt like the same kind of magic to me. And, um, I wanted to write all of those things without, (laughs) you know, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Like, I'm not just a horror writer. I'm not just a novelist. I'm not just anything. And I, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be in a, uh, a type of writer where I could kind of cover a lot of bases. And speculative fiction just seems like the best way to cover all the bases. <laughs> it basically gives you carte blanche to write whatever the fuck you want, which is <laughs> what I need. <laughs> or I get, I get very, very just bored and frustrated, even as much as I love, you know, characters and ser- like, I love writing my Darla Decker series, but after five books I was after four books I was like oh my god why (laughs) and that's not I don't consider that really speculative because it's it's contemporary YA so 
I'm just like, man, I just want to throw some aliens in here, the dinosaur, like something crazy to fuck with them. And like, it was, it was really tough staying grounded. So, <laughs> which is why I made uh, Darla have crazy fantasies all the time. That was just, you know, for me, <laughs> just so I could write weird things in a non-weird uh, series. So horror is your preferred form of speculative fiction as a, as a writer, but as a reader, is that different for you? Yeah, actually. I mean, it didn't used to be. Um, horror was definitely my favorite to read when I was a kid. Um, but I think now I tend to like more just stuff on the weird side, bizarro. Um, I mean, I still like horror, but I don't read the kind of um, blood and guts horror that I, I used to. Um, so maybe, maybe I, I'm still reading a lot of horror, but it's more on the psychological side. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely, I love reading about bad people. Um, I think the, <laughs> I like writing about bad people. I think the majority of people are bad. So at least in, <laughs> in some, in some way, I'm a bad person. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, we all have our, our, our hidden sides. And I think I love stories that take that kind of even minuscule evil in people and, you know, blow it up and examine it and use metaphor to create like a really twisted, fucked up horror world. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I love to read. And I'm really just kind of off of reading bestsellers and names now. I read pretty just exclusively small press and, uh, and, and friends, <laughs> inky cohorts, just because to me, those are the best writers working today. I'm writing down inky cohorts because that is the <laughs> best thing ever. <laughs> I, I like my Facebook feed is probably 80% writers <laughs> and other artists. So, uh, there's always somebody with a new cool book out and, I mean, there's there's so much uh, happening in small press horror. So yeah, um, yeah, and I uh, so I'm I, I don't know. I feel like I guess I have been reading still horror a lot. I guess that is typically what I still read, just not as maybe not as obvious horror as I was adept to as a kid reading Fear Street <laughs> and Stephen King and all that kind of stuff. That makes sense. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your book, The Maiden Voyage? Oh, yeah. Uh, Maiden Voyage is interesting uh, in that it was it was originally published in, uh, I don't know, 2000-something, 12-13-something. <laughs> it was published by Hazardous Press, which uh, notoriously closed and fucked over a bunch of its writers. Mm. Um, so I And it was just such a bummer because it was this story that I uh, had written about where bees <laughs> <laughs> and uh the original there was a submission call i had written it for years before that and had ended up cutting a bunch of stuff from the story just to make word count and uh it was something it was supposed to be like a uh, kind of steampunk and like hybrid fiction and i wrote this story about an assassin where bee or as they're they're actually called apisthropes um and on the on the titanic the entire world is powered by uh pollen steam and, and there's jelly glass and basically uh since synthesized uh pollen is the energy for which uh you, at least europe 
is a lot of Europe is powered. And at the top of this is the CEO of Royal Honey Incorporated, the queen bee, Barbara Holloway. And there's a whole bunch of hybrids in this world. And uh, so it's Edwardian 1912 with the Titanic. um, And I was hoping to get it republished and I submitted it to Unnerving Press or un- Unnerving Magazine. They're just starting to come out with novellas and short story collections and anything, everything. And Eddie had asked me if I would write other stories in the universe to kind of flesh out the world and everything. And I'm like, yes, please. Uh-huh. Um, so so now I, I have Maiden Voyage. It's going to be called Maiden Voyage and Other Departures. Nice. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be my first short story collection. And um I'm I'm still working on I just started brainstorming the the new stories in the universe but there's going to be a a cool Wright brothers story mm-hmm. um a story about a um a fengaris thrope which is a, a carnivorous butterfly <laughs> uh, go doing her coming out party her debutante <laughs> ball and um what was the other one? Oh, and something that does follow up what happens to Barbara Holloway after the after she dies on the Titanic. So, <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. The Titanic. Um, what? No. <laughs> it's an alternate history, but I didn't go that far altering history. I was going to read that oh, article it's... and everything. <laughs> I'm so surprised. I thought I they all lived. <laughs> Couldn't Damn. save them all. <laughs> yeah. Even bees. I mean, they can't even fly away. So yeah, yeah. The, the title of the article was uh, Titanic question mark. <laughs> clickbait yeah it's yeah. it total clickbait so i'm working on that so hopefully that will be out uh sometime early next year maybe april even so nice. i'm i'm powering through trying to get those stories written uh as much as possible which is which is uh kind of throwing off my plan not to write anything new for <laughs> in 2018 but that's gonna have to happen so <laughs> No, no no choice there really and and nor do i really want to stop writing i failed at this so many times <laughs> so uh, just on a tangent there why would you want to not write anything new in a year um i th- just because i have i have a lot of works in progress that i would that i need to finish i need to um get polished and organized i uh, i've been working on the sequel to rabbits in the garden for mm. over 2 years now and uh, just, I, I need to rewrite the ending. I did it for actually, um, I did a re-edit for NaNoWriMo and, you know, I beat NaNoWriMo, but I still have to finish the book. So um, I, I also did Story a Week again this year. Um, and it's going to be part of a composite novel called Web, Webworm. It's all short stories. I've written 45 of them so far, so I'm a little behind. Um, so I'm going to have to go through, edit all those compile those into some kind of order (laughs) because they're all out of order. There are no character names in the book. So it's a little, a little maddening. So I just want to focus on, on that kind of stuff instead of um, this past year, which has been a lot of seeing submission calls, writing a story for that, submitting it, you know, just over and over and over again. And I just, I don't want to play that game again. (laughs) I want to finish um, some stuff. And while I do create a lot of work that I finish and, you know, I have a, a pretty big output, you know, I can't, I can't do it all. So right. I have some projects that are just kind of hanging out there. I have a half written, uh, young adult horror novella that's just kind of sitting there. And 
um, a couple of half finished things I just need to get done. That makes sense. So, Jessica, you've been featured on the Wicked Library podcast. Once or twice. Once, once, <laughs> once or twice. twice. Yeah, just, once or twice. You know, a yeah. couple times. Like every season. <laughs> and, and so when you listen to your, your stories performed, uh, did you feel your story changed for you as far as how it felt reading it inside your head as opposed to hearing it, uh, you know, produced? Yeah, I think I think it's better when somebody performs mm-hmm. it. Um because I, by the time I've submitted something or especially with the wicked library where I, I dig a lot into, uh, stories I've had published previously. And, uh, you know, I, I, I need, I need time and distance from a, a story to actually enjoy it. So listening to someone perform it is so much more enjoyable than, than me reading it. I can take that step back and almost pretend like I didn't write it. <laughs> and, uh, and that for me is the, like the most wonderful thing. I can't really be objective anymore about my own writing because the editing part, the mm-hmm. editing part, I'm so honest and unmerciful when it comes to editing mm-hmm. and that I just am not nice to myself. <laughs> so, uh, it's, I, I, I love have, hearing stuff on the Wicked Library. It's absolutely the, the greatest I get to sit back with a glass of wine <laughs> and just enjoy that, that it's there, that it exists, that I did something right. <laughs> and that it's, and that I created something really cool and beautiful. So yeah. for, I prefer it. Yeah. And it was really cool. And, and, and we just spoke to a traditional storyteller named uh, Lynn Ford and mm-hmm. she does all of her work is mostly, most of her work is spoken. It's performed and and, and in person. So in a very traditional storytelling manner. So like she does write things that she publishes as well. But um, because she's actually actively thinking about the performance Mm -hmm. end of things as she types, she's performing it out loud as she's typing. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I do that a little when I'm writing. um, uh, Not usually when I'm typing. Although I I guess I do speak aloud when when I'm typing. When I'm first drafting something, I usually do the dialogue at least aloud mm-hmm. so I can hear how everything sounds and what, if it sounds real, if it, you know, for me, like I, I always have the computer read stuff aloud to me before I submit it. So the, the sound of it is also very important to me. Out of curiosity, how do you get your computer to read to you? aloud? <laughs> he has the uh, text uh, to speech cool. thing. I have a little uh, extension in my open office that, that reads it to me like a nice lady. <laughs> nice. I had I have a new computer this year. Last year, or yeah, my my Mac. Her name was Victoria, the the nice. voice that would read things, and that's why uh, my book Train Derails in Boston is dedicated to Victoria, um, <laughs> because oh my god, having that poor robot lady saying all of those c words. All, I I felt so bad for for the disembodied <laughs> voice that lived in my laptop having to do say all those sex scenes. It was pretty disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Did not make me happy. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you do that. Yeah. <laughs> so where does your inspiration come from with all of these stories that you're working on? Um, a lot of them are submission calls, just inspired by whatever the theme is of, of the submission call. Um, I know uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing just put out a call for a pizza horror anthology. And <laughs> I mean, 
I I just immediately something like that just sounds so bizarre and wonderful. Like, how can I not want to write a story for that? So I basically just sat down and thought of every single uh, pizza horror idea that popped in my head. And I came up with like eight different um, basically inciting incidents for stories. And then I went through, I would cross off the ones I thought other people might think of and, you know, kind of narrowed it down to what I thought would make the best story plus how fun it's going to be to write. So I, I got it down to one story and I started writing that and hopefully it'll turn out well. But uh, a lot of other times, like for Webworm, for Story a Week, uh, I just wrote down a list of random words and just used those as inspiration. Um, I just, uh, I, I, so many years of doing this, you know, you learn to um, kind of have your default setting as always searching for inspiration. Like there's inspirado everywhere. And if you're just always kind of scanning the world, no matter where you are, you can see story ideas and character ideas in all kinds of places. So for me, it's just normal. It's absolutely normal. It's almost like, you know, when, uh, in, in like vampire stories, as they turn into vampires, it's like, look, with your new vampire eyes <laughs> at the glittering world. And it's like, it's kind of like that. I feel like when you become, <laughs> when you're a writer long enough, it's just kind of like this, uh, glittering inspirado net cast out before you. And you just have to pick. And for me, I mean, that, that, that is the problem is I'm, I can pick, but I pick too much. <laughs> I think I think Jeanette has. I think Jeanette has the uh, the vampire sparkly eyes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. You just described my world. <laughs> yeah. Look with your new storyteller eyes. Yes. This is a world of inspirado. <laughs> now yeah. the roof caves in. What happens next? <laughs> yeah, like every it's it's everywhere. So I mean. <laughs> Which can be a little bit uh, overwhelming, I think, especially when you have trouble saying no yeah. <laughs> or putting limitations on yourself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's it's exhausting. And I need to. That's kind of why I need to take the break next year because I just blah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> My brain is mush. That makes sense. <laughs> you've been you've been working hard, man. So yeah. One of the things that you have put out already that I know you just mentioned you're working on the sequel of, so can you tell us a little bit more about your book, Rabbits in the Garden, specifically? Rabbits in the Garden. Rabbits in the Garden came out in 2011, I think, mm -hmm. um, from Postmortem Press, and it was um, honestly just, <laughs> it was 90% it was of it came from a dream. I'm not, like, I'm not even... <laughs> I had like the most elaborate dream with a beginning, middle and end. And um, I kind of I took that idea of a 1950s kind of um, two preteens, a love to, you know, to end all loves, this great story and kind of the story of them being kept apart by, you know, family and and all this kind of stuff. And. Then I mixed in a story that I had started to write years before called The Garden. And it was basically Flowers in the Attic meets American Psycho. And I stopped writing it because I was very disturbed by it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, I think 2004 or something when I was writing this. And yeah, I got to like 
naked people hanging on hooks and I stopped and I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Cause I had never really written. I, at that time I was writing all fantasy. Basically I was focusing on my fantasy series that exists <laughs> and somehow, um, but, but I decided to mix them together. I wasn't ready to write to the garden at that time. And I just needed to wait. And it turned into just, uh, one of my favorite stories, some of my favorite characters that I've ever had the opportunity to write. And, uh, it was really, I think it was like postmortem press. This is like second or third novel that they put out in it. And it really, uh, it, it really introduced me to what I think my writing life would become with the, the publication of that novel. Even though I think it was my fourth or fifth novel that came out, it, it really started my, the familial relationship that I have with postmortem press authors, which is amazing, mm -hmm. but also allowed me to uh, venture into psychological horror, which I really hadn't done much of before and really find an, a niche for myself there. And like, and allowed me to play with some, some pretty fun metaphorical things, imagery that I had not done before. And uh, I'm trying to carry that over into hairs in the hedgerow uh, Here's in the Hedgerow has some, it, it's interesting because when I listened to, um, Nelson's interview, when he was talking about, uh, taking that short story and expanding it and getting to, uh, revisit those characters and stuff and being like, oh, I knew them. So it really wasn't so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not that it wasn't hard. I'm sure it was hard work. <laughs> <laughs> don't, I don't want to discount that, but you know, he felt like he had such a great sense of who these characters were. And I really thought I was going to have the same thing with Hairs in the Hedgerow, but with it being 15 years later and, you know, the end of Rabbits in the Garden ending on such like a traumatic, but also happy, weird ending where you don't really know exactly if ever the story you've been told is accurate or if Avery is a unreliable narrator of sorts. <laughs> um... So uh, I had to answer a lot of those questions for myself, um, some, some of which I still kind of go back and forth on, even as I'm writing and editing it. Um, I think I, I like that it's nebulous a little bit. So, but I didn't, it was, it was very difficult to figure out who Avery was at that time, 15 years later in uh, California, you know, complete opposite side of the country. And she has, she has a baby with her and when basically when rabbits ends and hairs in the hedgerow, the baby is 15, 16 years old. <laughs> I'm like, ah, what the heck? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just, I, it was, it was very difficult and I've rewritten a lot of it. Um, there was also, while I was writing it, my cat passed away. So that oh. fucked with me super hardcore. Mm -hmm. Um, so the ending is completely screwed up and that's what I need to fix. But I, I think it's, I think people that like rabbits are really going to like hairs in the hedgerow. There's some, it has, it has the gruesome stuff. It has, it has a little bit of the romantic stuff. It has some, some interesting developments. You get to see some old characters from rabbits. So yeah, I'm excited about it. Once <laughs> <I finish. laughs> and, and this book rabbits in the garden is the kind of fiction that I really do enjoy. That's something that really resonates with me very strongly and things that have to do with the mind, sanity, and humanity. 
Um, do you draw from the works of H.P. Lovecraft when talking about sanity in these types of stories? I mean, I, I would I would be remiss not to cite him as, a, as an influence. <laughs> I certainly, when I started uh, writing seriously at 19, was reading a mix of uh, Anne Rice Roald Dahl and H.P. Lovecraft. So <laughs> I think that that is actually a pretty good sum up of why my work turned into the way it was. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, when I was uh, starting to write short stories, I, I wrote a million Lovecraftian stories that were just absolute horrible knockoffs. So <laughs> I went somewhere, saw something weird, and now I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely drew inspiration from there. I also, I mean, especially as I'm writing Hairs in the Hedgerow too, David Lynch is like a huge inspiration for me. Not as so much as, um, I didn't want it really for, for my imagery in the books to exactly represent somebody's sanity or insanity, but more like the chaos that's within all of us a little bit. And I feel like uh, David Lynch is very good at showing that through imagery and, uh, and storytelling. So I've been playing with that a lot, a lot too over the years, which I feel like rabbits in the garden definitely has notes of that as well. So (laughs) you had mentioned a couple uh, influences, but what are some of your other favorite speculative fiction books and or authors? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So many favorites. Um, uh, I mean, Stephen King was always one of the biggies for me as, you know, Anne Rice as well. Um, as far as like, uh, oh, Peter S. Beagle, of course, I mentioned him before, but Last Unicorn was like everything to me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I have like a leather bound 22 karat gold plated copy that Ooh. I just look at every single day to remind myself it's good to be alive. Uh-huh. And- <laughs> But I mean, I, I wrote, a, I read a lot of like just random, like trashy, hard sci-fi that I honestly don't remember the authors or anything like that. I mean, obviously I read Heinlein and Asimov and um, a lot of your basic, your basic, you know, intro, intro to spec fic, um, horror, sci-fi and fantasy, Tolkien and whatnot. Um, but I'm always going to go back to R.L. Stein's Fear Street forever and always. It is glorious trash speculative fiction <laughs> and it is amazing to me i will reread uh <laughs> halloween party until the day i die <laughs> it's the most amazing book ever. i loved those books so they're, much <laughs> they're amazing and i mean I, I, margaret atwood is is fantastic um i don't know if i guess I guess um, Mary Higgins Clark doesn't really qualify as speculative fiction, but I but I read a lot of her like mystery stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I like hearing your list of uh, favorites because there's a lot of mine on there as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I still read like so many of the books I read as a kid just because. They make me so happy, like mm-hmm. random things like mice, the mouse and the motorcycle and, <laughs> you know, the Ramona Quimby books and stuff like that. <laughs> so, Jessica, speculative fiction can be very divisive as well, especially when it involves famous historical figures or events. Is there a book or a piece of writing that drove you nuts because of the writer's speculative interpretation? 
Hmm. Not, not, not that I can think of. I mean, I'm usually pretty open-minded about it <laughs> as far as, yeah, whatever, whatever they chose to do, that's what they chose to do. Whether I like it or not, you know, I guess it's a different story, but I can't really think of anything that, you know, made me fly off the handle. I mean, the world is just way crazier than anything anyone could possibly ever mm -hmm. write. So, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's more likely going to make me go crazy. But yeah, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, though. I mean, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and stuff. Oh, my God. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing where it's just like, hey, we just took this thing and shoved a speculative element into it, you know, kind mm -hmm. of feels like shoehorning a little bit. Not to say, you know, those that isn't a cool idea that they had or, you know, whatever it is. Vamp was it uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean... It's certainly a cool idea, and I'm sure it was a very profitable one. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of smacks of like when you get a like a story rejection or something. You have this story you can't sell, and then you see a submission for like pizza horror. So you just take this story you already have and just add like a pizza. killer pizza into it <laughs> yeah. or something. <laughs> and just hope and pray that... <laughs> yeah, which yeah. they were really... <laughs> so. pride and prejudice and zombies i was thinking wow that's the one that's the one i can think of where it bothered me because i kept reading it and going wow i'm enjoying oh zombies i yeah. should just go read pride and prejudice now yeah. <laughs> you can draw zombies in like the liner in there and like just yeah. like inside <laughs> you know it's fine just draw it on the page it would have worked yeah. better <laughs> So what's your favorite part about writing in speculative fiction? Oh, I mean, the freedom <laughs> just to be able to do whatever crazy thing I want, um, which I'm sure like <laughs> people that are way more knowledge me, knowledge knowledgeable about it than me would probably be like, yeah, you can't do that. No, <laughs> we've been telling you for years you're not supposed to do that. But but I do anyway. And <laughs> I, I just love crazy things, crazy characters. When I finally get that, the saddest thing about not writing anything new next year is I am not going to write the novel I was planning on, which is uh, a motherfucking heist novel. And that's going to be a crazy uh, kitchen sink novel with all the madness in it. So can that's going to be... Can that be the title, though? I think that's the title. That is the title, yes. Oh, good. That's the title. That Perfect. The motherfucking heist <laughs> Good. <laughs> no. All right. The, right. the world is right, then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's like a big, that's going to be a big, crazy, sci-fi, bizarro, kaiju. <laughs> so it's it's just going to be everything. And to me, I mean, that's just, that just seems really fun. And I, I hope that doesn't make me the Michael Bay of writing. But... <laughs> Is that a bad thing? In writing, it might be worth it. <laughs> right. Well, there are definitely times when I, I, like, to my best friend, I described a maiden voyage. And I'm like, it's about a, a where-be assassin on the Titanic. And she just looks at me dead in the eye and she's like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'll, some people, it's not your cup of tea. Right. <laughs> but for me, having, doing all the crazy things is perfection. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It's like like Lay's potato chips covered in chocolate. No one knew yes. that that was going to be a thing, and now it is. Yeah, there you go. 
No one knew that you needed it, but now you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, if there isn't also, if there isn't like a genre that fits you or you feel like you don't have, you know, a place to sit with all your crazy ideas, you know, you just create a new place to sit. You create your own genre. You do your own thing. Um, this one of the biggest things about writing is you there's really no reason to be doing it if you're not enjoying it. True. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it seems crazy because I'm exhausted and this is a lot of work and a lot of it isn't fun. It's tedious and it's time consuming, but I do, I do enjoy it as, you know, it really is a part of me. And even the tedious things, though, I'm not enjoying myself when I am in the thick of it. As soon as I'm finished, I'm like, oh my God, that was so much fun. (laughs) Like such, I forget about all the trouble I had because I got the payoff. I finished. Mm-hmm. I, I am rewarded with a complete piece. Now the next reward is submission and exception, uh, being accepted. Um, or it means going back and playing with it again. But e- either way, I, I enjoy the process. I enjoy creating it, especially the, I love brainstorming a new story. There's like nothing more fun for me. And I think there are so many writers I just see on Facebook and whatever complaining and being like, <laughs> just I don't know just seems like they're not having any fun and I'm like maybe this isn't for you like maybe I think a lot of people are creative and they want to do something artistic they just haven't found the right thing yet mm-hmm. and for for some people it's writing for some people it's painting or singing or an instrument or designing buildings or you know it's all it can be all many different things I mean I for one even have thought about like taking a break from writing and trying a new, a completely different art that I never have before. Like I really would love to do try sculpting and stuff like that. It's very tactile. I feel Mm -hmm. like it would be good. I definitely need, I'm a, I need something to always be doing with my hands. So that's one of the reasons I like to write by hand. Um, But I, I think that anything, you know, anything that is this difficult, (laughs) needs to be enjoyed at least some of the time (laughs) it's a a pain in the ass man literally like I'm on my ass all day (laughs) it's so big now (laughs) it's like that PB Herman line from Big Adventure everybody I know has a big butt (laughs) theirs is mostly like I don't want to do a thing yeah (laughs) Or I'm going to do a thing. Yo. I would do this thing, but. <laughs> yeah, writer's ass is a thing. Yeah. It's, it's a I, huge... I, I have editor's ass, so. It's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I, I mean, I just, you, you, it's a, it's a solitary thing. You have to sit down. You have to do it. It doesn't do itself. Nope. <laughs> I think people get really, uh surprised by the fact that you actually have to sit down and write to write a story um or they think because they know how well it it, how how it goes in their head that it's just going to transfer onto paper super easy i'm guilty of that (laughs) i mean well that's i mean it's kind of the way i feel about drawing i'm not very good at drawing but i can like picture something so perfectly in my head and i like my hand is dumb i was like why can't you just make the thing that's in my head and I think that's how a lot of people, you know, feel with writing. They get, they start it and they're like, holy shit, wait a minute. I've been writing for an hour and I have 500 words. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> it takes, 
hours and hours and days and weeks and months. <laughs> I mean, there is, I, I've had friends come over while I'm working and just be like, hey, you know, want to hang out this afternoon? I'm like, well, I'm working, but I mean, you can sit here and watch <laughs> with me if you want. And then they'll come over and be like, uh, wow, you're really quiet. Like, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do your job, <laughs> but I tend to focus on it and do it. And, uh, and just being like, how much longer you got to go on the story? And, <laughs> and I'm like, forever? <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the first paragraph, so at least eight more hours. <laughs> Are you sure you even want to be here? <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jessica, what is your process for creating a story? Um, I basically just, uh, once I have some kind of idea, nebulous idea, I just sit down with a notebook and just start writing out ideas and cool things. What I think, just a basic, loose uh, summary, outline, um, things I think would be cool to happen. Sometimes I accidentally forget that I'm just writing an outline and we'll just start writing the story. And I'll be like, ah, nope, nope, nope. What am I doing? Being too specific. Um, yeah, that's, and that's actually, that's my favorite part is just sitting there for a couple hours and just sketching out in a story basically and the characters. And then, you know, I just jump in depending on how, you know, how much I have to do. Sometimes I have to just rip it out and put it on my board and wait. But, uh, yeah, I usually like to jump in and write things as fast as possible so I can just get it out while it's fresh and exciting and then hope and then probably a couple days later put on the editing hat and type it up and be like, okay, now I can be mean to myself and <laughs> take out all these weird drunken passages that shouldn't even be in here. Um, which I, I found this morning, I looked at my book and I was like, Jesus Christ, what is this even, what did you do? I can always tell <laughs> in the morning when I've had too much to drink while I've been writing because my Y's and my G's, they're really long, the tail, like they're super, they go halfway down the page. It's like every Y is a signature. <laughs> it's, yeah, I can always, it's never a good sign. <laughs> So yeah, then I, I type it up, I, I'll edit it, I'll go through uh, at least least twice, usually three times, just to make sure I've caught everything. Then I have the computer read it aloud, and I sit back and listen to it, and maybe I give it to my husband to read, depending on <laughs> how long it is and uh, how disturbing it is. So, <laughs> And then just send it out. Easy peasy. <laughs> Easy peasy. You know, three, four weeks couple yeah. months have gone by easy peasy yeah. <laughs> yeah it also depends if you know if it's for something I obviously work on it a lot faster mm -hmm. but uh like all of my webworm stories are well most of them are not typed up yet so I'm gonna have to go through that and uh actually a lot of one and a lot of the ones that are typed up I did via um speech to text mm -hmm. on google docs so a lot of the words are wrong <laughs> <laughs> because it's terrible yeah <laughs> so but i get i get very bored of just typing for hours on end so i okay. like to read stuff aloud sometimes i can understand that as a reader what part of a story draws you in the most like character atmosphere 
quirky I mean, plot twists. <laughs> I, ideally, all that stuff. I, <laughs> I, I, I would love all of that stuff. Uh, I really, just, uh, character is obviously super important. Um, atmosphere and great setting are are, are great, but uh, characters are why I I read and I write and I want to, I want to see how the character changes, maybe how the character changes me and, um, live in, in their life for a little bit. So uh, first, first page is super important for me as a reader, because I, uh, like, I don't, I don't get a chance to read as much as I, as I used to, because I'm always working. Mm-hmm. I just finished uh, Betty Rock studies like jagged teeth, which was a nice quick read. I read it in, I think, uh, like the first six chapters at night and finished it that following morning. So that one was really great. Um, but if that first page doesn't get me, I am often turning to something else, unfortunately, because I'm just like, ah, I want to read something. I don't have much time. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be like, like quick and affecting. And um, I also want to try to learn from stories like that because I, I think I'm a much better novelist than I am short story writer. So um, I, I want to learn why, the, you know, what makes these uh, short stories, you know, that we love so much, like uh, great ones like Shirley Jackson short stories and um, uh, and Asimov and everything like Bradbury, of course, why they're so powerful. And I want to be able to incorporate that into my writing because it's something I still have uh, a little trouble doing even though I'm very good at cutting words (laughs) over the years I've gotten I've gotten quite good at it obviously there is still something a little element that I'm missing so I'm always on the lookout to try to become a better writer through what I'm reading and how has writing affected you i.e transitioning from being a reader to a writer how has that affected your life oh my gosh I I I edit while I'm reading I hate that Uh, it's it's yeah it's annoying it's it's definitely harder now for me to get into a story because I'm constantly uh thinking about my own thing I've definitely been reading a book and started thinking about my own book and realized I'm just staring at the page while I'm thinking about my own thing it's awful um (laughs) it's uh I mean it really hasn't it hasn't altered my life too much um because I've always been very much a reader writer um, I mean, even when I was a kid, when I wasn't like writing all the time, I was always, I mean, I guess I was, I was always writing little poems and songs and, uh, and stories. And, uh, so I, I would always read something. I'd be influenced by it. I would write, you know, my version of it. Like I was, I was so excited by the the movie King and I, I just wrote verbatim an entire book, <laughs> King and I, not realizing it was a book. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, it, they've always just con- kind of gone hand in hand for me. So really not much has changed since, uh, since becoming a full-time writer, except that the fact that I have a lot less time to read, oh. <laughs> it's a bummer, but I still, you know, I still got to keep it in there because it's important to stay fresh and, um, relevant as a writer. So what do you do when you're working on a story and it's suddenly not flowing the way you want it to? How do you get past that? How do you get re-inspired on a story you're editing? Um, either I just power through it or I go to something else. 
um, put it on the back burner. If, if I can't, if I absolutely have to work on, on that particular story and, uh, and I'm just feeling stuck, I might just take a break, take a shower. Uh, sh- I like to think in the shower, I have a, uh, writing pad in there. Nice. So <laughs> I have, yeah, I have a waterproof writing pad. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I can jot down notes. It's called aqua notes. They're really awesome. I can kind of refresh myself that way and jot down notes or, or I might just change my scenery entirely, take the project to a bar or something. Um, I tend to find that when I get stuck in that way, it's probably just because I'm bored and feeling sluggish and I just need to leave the house. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I'm like in a different environment with like a beer next to me, I usually <laughs> am able to kick back into gear. So Luckily, it's not it's not too much. Also, it's it's my job. So I kind of don't have the luxury of not working, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just yeah, I just power through or or take a break. (laughs) Again, easy peasy. Easy peasy. (laughs) Every time you say that, I just imagine you and this is just my artist brain going into over mode. But just like deep bags under your eyes, like a cup of coffee shaking in one hand and your hair just a wreck with like notebooks overflowing in the other arm. Easy peasy. That's what I see. That is accurate. That is, that is shockingly accurate. I need to draw that. Yeah. I, you know, like seriously, my, yeah, my writing hut is... <laughs> there are notebooks all around me at this point. I'm wearing pajamas. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind, Jeanette, having you be one of her inspirations for like Horror Haiku's Day or something. Oh my God, it'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> it'd, be called, it'd be called Easy Peasy. Easy Peasy. <laughs> I'm dying. Somebody help me. Why is no one helping me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Jessica, on your journey to become a professional writer, have your friends and family been very supportive of your choice to pursue this as a career? I mean, in the beginning, they they weren't. Um, I mean, my friends have always been pretty supportive. Um, I So I started writing seriously when I was about 19 or 20. And uh, my first book was published when I was 25. So I, uh, but I wasn't really trying to get published for those years between, I was basically just writing and figuring out who I was as a writer and what I wanted to do. And I was also working on the fantasy series that just when I read it from it now, I'm like, who are you? I have no idea who who that person was with this crazy fantasy series. Um, but, uh, I just threw my phone across the room. Um, as you do. My my parents weren't super supportive at the beginning just because they were like, oh my God, she already has like a garbage future because she didn't go to college and she works in a cabinet store. So um, like, I mean, yeah, I was just basically floating through life in my early 20s, as many of us are at that point. And uh, all I enjoyed doing was was writing, drinking also, probably a little (laughs) too much. but that's that's all I wanted to do, and I, I did for hours on end. That I would go to work as a server or in the cabinet store or a pizza place, and um, I'd come home and I would write until all hours in the morning. And obviously, this was 
probably very scary for my parents who are, you know, like, oh, my God, what is she going to do with her life? She has nothing to fall back on. I mean, and rightly so. But then I ended up um, it, it really all turned around when I when I met my husband. He was really the first person in in all those years who was like, uh, so you're going to submit any of this? <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you not like, this is your life. <laughs> Why are you not doing anything with it? And I, I don't, I honestly don't have a good answer. I don't know what I told him then. I'm not sure what I would say to it now. Um, I, uh, but yeah, I, I, I start, I had already written three, three novels at that point. Um, a novella, two novellas, several short stories. Um, and he's like, why, you know, <laughs> So I was like, yeah, I mean, you have a point, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I started working on another novel, though. And I was like, I'll, I'll write this. I'm going to write this one. And this is the one I'm going to submit first. And I, I wrote an Arthurian legend novel, which I had always wanted to do, but had put it off because I couldn't find a unique twist on it. And then I found a twist and I, I wrote it. And it's actually to this day, it's my longest novel. Um, it's not in not in print anymore, but uh he, he really encouraged me. And after that, my, I ended up getting a job in, um, biotech, ended up, uh, becoming a, a lab technician at a pretty big biotech firm in, in my hometown. I worked that job for five and a half years. Like, and, and at, by that time I was like, okay, she's got a real job. She has insurance. She can do whatever she wants. <laughs> like she can write. I don't care. So yeah, they were, they were definitely on board after that. Um, but they don't, uh, my parents definitely don't read all of my work, although they do, they do buy it. <laughs> they do not read it. <laughs> I remember my dad, like, coming to, I think it was Baltimore Book Fest. I came up to the table where I was with Postmortem Press, and it was when my, um, uh, when Pins came out, which is uh, extreme horror, takes place in a strip club bowling alley. <laughs> and uh, he came up and he was like, he bought the book. And I'm like signing. I'm like, please don't read this. <laughs> <laughs> you, like everyone else, are going to wonder why it's so <laughs> accurately detailed. <laughs> so what was the name of the book that was that's out of print? Uh, Camelot Lost. Yeah. Ironic. Yeah. 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 Aww. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I hope someday to, to get it back out there, but like I said, it's very, very long and, uh, would definitely take a long time. And I also my I, I feel like my writing styles is much tighter than it was back then. I was still, uh, very much in love with the purple prose and was not still very good at, uh, killing my darlings editing wise mm -hmm. writing drunk editing sober so i think that it probably needs some work but i almost don't want to touch it <laughs> i almost just want to keep it pristine and like little baby jess work and Aww. send it back out into the world but we'll see it got a lot of rejections before uh it finally got published but it was published by a really shitty like print on demand um uh was it publish america mm-hmm so they published it and it was, it was in my hometown. And so it was, it was not real. It was not a very reputable public publication, but it, it kicked me off and it gave me something to put in my bio, which awesome. then started the, the everything turning. And then I ended up getting, I think that following year, three novel acceptances. And then awesome. just the whole thing just started off of that. But either yeah. way, it would be very interesting to see 
where where you got started, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's very much of a, it's kind of a bodice ripper. Nice. I mean, it has, it's Arthurian legend, so it's you know, and and I I tried to kind of write a lot of the things that I I feel like go wrong for me in Arthurian legend. Like I'm never really a big fan of Guinevere, mm-hmm. and uh, so I kind of tried to make her likable to me um <laughs> at least so hopefully that worked um there's probably some stuff in there that's problematic consent wise <laughs> i don't know I, I honestly can't remember but there there are definitely some quite flowery passages and uh oh my gosh and yeah when I worked at the biotech place I was I made the decision to tell them that I was working on the book and had just described a scene where a pregnant woman was stabbed in the belly (laughs) (laughs) and like for the rest of the time I worked there this dude was like hey stab any pregnant women today Well, I stab about 12 before breakfast. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, no. it's, it's the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. <laughs> Stabbing pregnant ladies. <laughs> so, and the fact that it was like I, I had King Arthur doing it, I felt like that was. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Did he mistake her belly for the stone and he's putting oh, it back? No. <laughs> he's like, oh, just put this back. Oh, I'm sorry, lady. I didn't have my glasses on. Not <laughs> she wasn't that big. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, don't just be laying down belly up in the middle of the forest, lady. <laughs> this was really your fault. <laughs> See, like I said, consent issues. Yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you offer to budding writers that wish to get into writing speculative fiction? Um, I, I obviously you gotta you gotta read a lot. Gotta read a lot of different things all over the genres. I mean, if you want to stick to one genre, that's totally cool. Or or one little subset of the genre, that's absolutely fine. But um, I definitely suggest people read widely outside of their preferred genres to really get a sense of different characters and different worlds. And also, I mean, to avoid cliches and and also stay uh, kind of relevant with the language and and stories that are being told these days, Um, keep it fresh. also, just, I mean, just write, just, just write silly stuff. Like whatever pops into your head, it might not come out as like a perfect story, but it's something, it's something to keep uh, your inspiration going, keep your mind going. You have to exercise it. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that they're, they're like, I'm not creative. And I'm like, you probably are. You're just not exercising it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need to kind of keep it. It's a well-oiled machine. And the more you use it, the better it's going to work. Um uh, just, and then also don't, don't try, don't compare yourself to other people. Like, I feel like that is such, um, a self-esteem killer. Um, there are a lot, I have so many inky cohorts that are so talented and I read their work and I'm like, God damn it. Like, why <laughs> didn't I think of this? Like, why? This is just so brilliant and beautiful. I'm never going to be this good. But I mean, you don't have to be them you don't have to be as good as them you just have to be as good as you are or better than you were the day before the year before um so just you know it's it's gonna be a it's it's a hard road and there's a lot of rejection a lot of criticism you just need to be confident and happy with what you're doing because I mean there's there's absolutely no no point in doing it if you're not enjoying yourself having a good time like I said it's it's supposed to be fun I mean art 
art changes people and it's it's moving and it's it's political and it's all it's scary and it's all these things but i mean it's supposed to be fun and make you think and laugh and cry and feel all of these things that humans are so so blessed to be able to feel and uh i i, I think i think you should just have fun with it no matter what explore weird things about yourself and about the world <laughs> So, Jessica, where can our audience find out more about you and your work? I am on Facebook at facebook.com slash author dot Jessica McHugh. I, my website is jessicamchughbooks.com. I don't have too much. I really need to work on it terribly, <laughs> my <laughs> website. So I'm really at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are the best places to keep up with me with uh, news and info. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm the Jess McHugh. Um, you can also just Google me and probably find a lot of uh, interesting tidbits from <laughs> <laughs> a long time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not shy online. So <laughs> especially when I've had a few drinks. So I'm 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 out there. My work is out there, and uh, lots of it's also a lot of my work is published by some great presses that people should check out more like postmortem and per perpetual motion machine and uh, got something coming out from, from crystal lake soon. So yeah, that's it. I'm out there. <laughs> Go find her everybody. We will Go have find. those links in the show notes for you in case uh, you have a hard, you're like driving or something. So I'll have them for you. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much, Jess, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being a part of our show. And thank you, the listener, so much for listening. If you happen to enjoy our show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people to find us. We strive to constantly make our show better, so any feedback, positive or negative, will help us improve the show. Also, if you have any specific topics that you want us to tackle, let us know. For links and show notes for this episode, please visit podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E15. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Immortal Alexander. And I'm Jeanette Andromeda. Stay creative, my friends. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. So instead of a Skype test call, I want to start sharing poetry with you guys from HorrorMade.com, which is my blog. This one is called Forgotten Bride. Each day she rests her head on cushions made of stone. Her lifeless eyes gaze up into unforgiving skies. As she lies dormant, eternity fits into the spaces between her breaths, and sorrow fills the cavity of her chest. But be weary, dear traveler, as you tread those paths, for vengeance has become her only song. If you like poetry, especially horrific kinds, you can find more of that on my blog. HorrorMade.com. Like we're making horror together, my friends, which I hope you will join me in doing that. And you can find out more by using hashtag HorrorHaikuesDay on Twitter, because every Tuesday, there's a whole bunch of poets who share a little bit of horror poetry. Bye! Bye!
Jeanette fell off her chair. Wait, wait for it, wait for it. I'm still falling. 